a Superman action figure in a toy coffin, a blue shirt and red jacket, a first flight in the sun above the Arctic tundra. These are some of the moments that define my Superman fandom. Together on this podcast, we journey across time and media to examine, discover, and reconsider the creative visions that have shaped the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Superman in the Bronze Age is first-time guest, Bernie Gerstmeyer. Welcome, sir. Hello. Thanks for having me, man. This is the third, the final concluding chapter in our pre-crisis trilogy. We've covered Superman in the Golden Age, the Silver Age, and here we are now in the Bronze Age, uh, yeah. the period of time typically considered uh, 1970 to 1985, right up until Crisis on Infinite right. Earths. And just as we've done in the uh, previous episodes, you know, we'll talk about uh, the era as a whole, our overall yeah. impressions, what the major themes and, and plot points and things like that were. Uh, but then we'll also drill down on some specific stories. And just to give a quick overview of some of the stories that we're going to be talking about, uh, we'll be talking about Denny O'Neill's Kryptonite Nevermore, which is considered by by most uh, to be the um, official kickoff of the Bronze Age for Superman. Yeah. Uh, we'll also be talking about uh, must there be a Superman for the man who has everything? Superman takes a wife uh, and a few others. Uh, as as with the previous episodes, I sourced my reading material from a few places. Mm -hmm. I have the Superman in the 70s and 80s trade paperbacks, uh, which were very helpful. And as with the previous decades, they have sort of introductory material and connective tissue to give you a little bit of context for the era as a whole, which is very helpful. Yeah. And uh, I also have the 75-year and 85-year hardcovers, uh, which which were helpful. But those cover such a wide range that it's only like two or three <laughs> Bronze Age stories. Yeah. And then to a very limited extent, I use the DC app. And I say limited because the offerings there are real spotty. So I've fortunately, I didn't have, you know, a vast library of Bronze Age stories to pull from, but I worked right. with what I had. Uh, so, of course, you know, we'll, we'll dive into Bronze Age, but, you know, the show yeah. is called Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan right. journey. And often I like to get a little bit of a sense of what the guest's Superman fan journey is. And I know a little bit because you and I, we zoomed uh, off, you know, off camera yeah. uh, a little <laughs> while back and you filled me in on a little bit. So how did you get into Superman? And then what what happened after that that entry point? It's I actually have two entry points, which is kind of weird. So I was born in 1976. Um, so I guess around 1982, when I was six, um, my dad would take me to the hardware store and he'd go look for what he needed. And there was one comic spinner in the store. So we grew up in New Jersey, just about 20 minutes from Manhattan. So we were right on this, the edge of, uh, New York state in Japan, New York. And, uh, and, and I got to pick out one comic and my first comic I ever, uh, got from my dad was DC Comics Presents uh, Superman and the Doom Patrol. And I have it on my wall as like the like the first piece of Superman I know. And it's from the Bronze Age. It's from the late, so it's in 1982. Um, I now since have completed the entire DC Comics Presents line, which is hard to find also. Um, but awesome, fun reads, which we can touch on a little bit towards the end. But that was my first entry point. My dad was like really doing me a solid as a kid. Just went, hey, go go look at the comics while I go get what we need. And, I, and that's what I pulled and learned about the Doom Patrol and Robot Man and Negative Woman and all that kind of stuff. So it was really, really cool. 
And my second entry point was after being kind of away from comics for about maybe my like maybe age nine to 17, I went to college. Vintage Phoenix Comics in Bloomington, Indiana was the next entry point where that that's where I really started collecting again. The death of Superman had just happened. Funeral of a Friend had gone through 94. I had that cool poster I brought to college. I still loved Superman. And then I, uh, I basically found all of the back issues from death on until 95. And then I started dating my now wife. And our, our dates on weekends every now and then were to scour the Indiana countryside for, for comic book shops and to, and to fill in. As, as close as I could, you know, of the Bronze Age and, and all around it. So right now, I've got from 1975 to the present, pretty much every Superman comic that's ever come out. So That is amazing. I mean, that's ultimately why, I, I mean, I was going to have you on for some episode because, you know, I, I enjoyed our chats and I, I know you're a Superman fan. But the reason you're here for this is the fact that you, you know, you, you collect collected backwards into the Bronze yeah. Age. and uh, you know, I guess I'll kind of start by asking a question similar to what I asked Rich last episode when we talked about uh, the, the Silver Age of Superman. Uh, I mean, generally speaking, what was, because again, for me, most of this was new, but for you, you know, I know some of it was new, but a lot of it you were already familiar with and was part of your collection and reading history. So overall, what was this reading experience like? What were your overall impressions of, of Bronze Age Superman? It's funny. So like, I, I speak in analogies a lot. And uh, as a musician, I feel like it was a crescendo of quality over the over the Bronze Age. It starts very interesting, and we'll get into it with Denny O'Neill's stuff. But I feel that over the course of the Bronze Age, right up until uh, the Mongol comic that we read, I, I really feel the quality of writing, the quality of cohesive art and paneling and writing it got better and better over the course of the bronze age and it was kind of cool to see the ones that we picked really almost tiered that very nicely and we're i'm sure we're going to touch on that too but i find this bronze age superman to be uh compassionate very contemplative um it's very it's very character driven we start to see the reasoning why superman's character is is a kind of a linchpin in the DC universe. We start to really understand why people grab onto Superman. And there's a whole faction of people that, you know, I don't like Superman because he's too powerful. I like Batman because he's a little darker. But and we and I've heard your podcast and I've talked about this, but but I feel the Bronze Age is where we start to see Superman's character. I, I echo that a hundred percent. That was very much my takeaway from from this era. I don't know that I was quite as taken with Bronze Age Superman as I was with the early Golden Age stories, which I know I keep oh, saying yeah. in every episode. But I, I was so impressed with those. They just they grabbed me in such a powerful way. So I don't know if if these stories quite rise to that level. But I really yeah. did enjoy uh, the reading project and. Yeah, you do definitely see more of an emphasis on Superman as a person. I mean, I joked in the Silver Age episode, although it really wasn't a joke, that I didn't no. really find that version of the character believable as a as a as a person. You know, he's more of of, a, of an entity, I guess, but um, or a plot device. I mean, it just there really wasn't much to, for me, at least, to really connect with. And I feel like in these Bronze Age stories, you do get a more fleshed out 
character mm-hmm. in in Clark and Superman. And yeah. so I really I really did appreciate that. And you also get building off of what you were saying, you do get an increased level of introspection. And the must there be a Superman story and I think in particular oh, really highlights yeah. that. But just the fact that that was a question that was even presented by a comic and that Superman even considered you would never see a story like that in in the preceding decade. So stuff like that was really, really cool to see. There's a story that I know you didn't get to, and this was a really last-minute thing that I threw at you, but there's a four-part storyline, Who Took the Super Out of Superman? And that's a story, and I'll I'll talk about that a little bit more a little later, but, you know, that's a story where basically Superman has to decide whether to be Clark or Superman full-time, and he spends time investigating what it would be like to only be Clark and only be Superman. And it was... It was really interesting. So I feel like, yeah, the level of introspection and and just this this bit about examining what his role in the world and in the DC universe is going to be, you know, was a big step forward. And then you also see story, storytelling sensibilities get more modern, get closer to what we're used to in terms of, again, just the way the stories are told, the way pages are laid out. Um, and just to see the evolution in the art of Kurt Swan, you know, was amazing. You know, all of a sudden he wasn't constrained by these grid pages and he like it just opened it up and the layouts were really cool so uh you know to me this feels very much like a bridge right between the the, you know the silver age and then the more modern stories uh that we know so it was really interesting i mean and then plot wise you know this this was the era of course that saw clark uh become a tv news anchor which i have some thoughts on i'm sure you do as well yeah Uh, you know, we also saw, you know, the evolution in, in some villains as well. Of course, you know, Lex was in his his uh, green war suit and we saw the next evolution in, in Brainiac and Toy Man got more dangerous. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had things like that going on and Superman's power level. Right. He was no longer juggling planets. And yeah. that, I think, is a good segue, I suppose, to to Kryptonite Nevermore, which. I know you and I talked about this ahead of time and I know we're on the same page about this. And I got to tell speak- you. Well, you can take a drink, yeah. <laughs> I this reading project got off to kind of a rough start because I read yeah. <laughs> I read the Kryptonite Nevermore storylines. So this was Kurt Swan on art. Denny O'Neill wrote it, and this was uh, Superman two thirty three to two forty two, skipping issue yeah. two thirty nine. I think was a was a reprint. Um, and you know this this is actually one of the few stories that DC has kept in print from the Bronze Age. Like you can actually get a hardcover of this and it's on the app, which is where, uh, which is where I read it. And yeah, it didn't quite match the expectation that I had for it. Uh, what, what, what were your impressions of kryptonite nevermore? Well, okay. So let's, let's talk about why nevermore is really important first. I feel like it's, it's hard because my, as a diagnostician, I, I automatically go to like, oh, this sucks. Like, let's we got to fix this. So why is this bad? Um, here's what's really cool about Nevermore. First of all, as you're talking about the Silver Age in your last podcast, you touched on this a little bit. Nevermore is the first real Superman story arc. So we we don't know as readers in the early 1970s what a story arc even is. So it was a one and done uh, silver age was, as you said, with rich, you know, very aimed for the 10 year old, very aimed for the fantastic. It was like, what the crap just happened? Oh, we erased it. It's okay. And it's gone. 
this is i mean how many issues was it anthony it's like is it is it it's like nine, nine? Yeah. yeah and there's a long nine issues and, <laughs> and and now i think they i think they learned their lesson a little bit as you look through the bronze age at like maybe three or four parts are better for this but that's a landmark thing to think about that before bronze age start of superman in nevermore we did not have continuous stories so this was a great selling thing for DC to come up with. Um, like, oh, we want them back next month. Let's let's make it a part two. That's another thing too. Again, my nerdy side of research. At this is this is the first point. I don't know if you know this, but this is the first point where Superman became a monthly comic. Oh. So it, it wasn't always a monthly comic. It sometimes was biweekly. It traded off with action. Not until 1970 do we actually see a comic every single month. Now, us crazy people, we have you know DC pumping out weekly things, and we're and we get upset when that happens. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's a positive change for comics as an industry and for readers to have a story. And really, truthfully, it's the only. I think that's a big reason why we don't have a lot of collected editions of the silver age is the bronze age is easier to put in a trade what are they going to do for silver it's really kind of cut it's it's hit or miss oh i'll pick this one or this one kind of like the superman in the 70s superman in the 80s so that's i think that's where I, that's where my brain goes with the positives on nevermore but so before we talk into the other stuff yeah no i actually was not aware of that as far as the the publishing history and frequency and all of that so yeah that was very interesting and yeah i guess i yeah, let me preface, because again, I know you and I were not the biggest fans of the storyline, but I do, yeah. again, it's very easy with the benefit of of all of these decades to look back and point out what maybe could have been done better. But I do recognize at the time, I mean, this was a big pivot for the character. And yeah. um, and so I definitely appreciate what it, you know, what it attempted to do. Um, so I'll just put that out there uh, to, to start. <laughs> yeah. So, but then, so moving forward, so then what were your, your uh, impressions of the story? And I oh, guess just to, right. just for by way of quick setup, um, yeah, you know, it's called Kryptonite Nevermore. So, uh, one of the outcomes yeah. of the story is that all the kryptonite on Earth is turned to harmless iron, right? Yeah. And of course, kryptonite would later come back because you know the the chain reaction that affected all the kryptonite on Earth didn't affect the kryptonite in space, so they still had a little right. bit of an out. But one of the things that was <laughs> funny well actually you know what i'm going to save that for a second so that's one of the main things and then by the end of the story superman's powers have been decreased significantly though my understanding oh, yeah. is that that was very quickly discarded by by subsequent stories yeah and like the full depowering it is i will tell you and, and you you know as a fan too you've read if you look at the 1995 to even present there are definitely some runs that go off the rails and you're going, wait, what is this the same writer? You've had some podcasts where you talk about the fact that you got four Superman writers in, in a month sitting in a room trying to figure out how to connect all this. And then they go off on their own. This was one guy. And I don't know, like the word that I kept writing in my notes was bananas. Like it, it was, it would go from, totally superman that we know to off the rails weird decision making like he is almost like like a multiple personality like from one issue to the next we see like really wholesome helpful superman and then like really sad i'm an awful person superman which is so confusing 
Yeah, this does really run the gamut. This is what I was going to say before that I started to laugh. This I can't really say this is a criticism of the story. I, 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 I guess was very mistaken going into this about what kryptonite what the the meat of kryptonite nevermore was going to be because right again i based on the title and based on my limited knowledge of it i really thought <laughs> the bulk of the story was going to be the you know the the removal of kryptonite as a threat and that happens in the first like two pages <laughs> that's it and that's it that's nothing we get no more than that and and like i was assuming and i and it's funny thing that i mean we're talking about 1971 so granted i have back to the 70s but this is the first time i've read nevermore so i was super excited because the premise is kryptonite is now all turned to iron so superman can be jacked and who is going to stop him he can finally do what he needs to do and not be afraid but it is it is done in two pages and then it is just such a zigzag of weird stories for the next nine issues yeah, so it was. It definitely uh, challenged my my preconceived notions about what the story is going to be. I will say though, to Denny O'Neill's credit, it was clever mm-hmm. to begin. But right, and like you said, one of the biggest criticisms about Superman is he's too powerful. I think it was a very clever reversal to begin with the removal of one of two things that can hurt him, yeah. and and then by the end of the story, significantly decrease his power set. So like you you know at the beginning of the story, you're like, well now like almost nothing can hurt this guy. Which wow. I which I also have to say, you know, it's funny, and maybe this is more of a subject for another time, but the whole idea about magic, I guess I never, I don't, I guess I've never really gotten why that's considered like a weakness. Like, why? I don't know. I, I feel like, and maybe, maybe this does go to the, back to the fact that he's had a, like various power sets over the years and some wonky stuff that kind of came and went, but it's like you know, his abilities are primarily physical. So it's like, well, yeah, he's vulnerable to magic. It's like, why wouldn't he be? I don't know why that's necessarily always, always has to be like singled. You know, you know what I mean? Singled out. Or yeah, it shouldn't be surprising. And I, and I hate that I've thought about this a lot. Like it's so (laughs) sad that you sit, this is the kind of conversation I have with myself. It's like, you know, his, everybody needs to understand. And actually the layman doesn't always really fully put together that Superman is only powerful in our solar system. Like, he he is a solar battery and just like our iphone he done like when when he runs out and he's not around a yellow sun he's toast so his 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 abilities are natural so it kind of makes sense that the supernatural would affect him well just like it affects everybody else honestly there could be a whole podcast episode just on like like abracadabra superman you can call it or whatever and like and just touch on all the weird like whether you go to the magic side you go to the hell with what's it, uh rose and thorn and all of the, those kind of moments uh what was the other i forget there was like like it wasn't the devil but there was like almost was it karma or kismet yeah, that's what yeah. it was it was like the weirdest characters they started pulling around in the late 90s, early 2000s, which is what we call the, the dead zone in Superman, in Superman lore. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, right before right before your favorite Jeff Loeb uh, takes over, it is is quite the dead zone. But yeah, I, I was hoping for a lot more, I guess, from the, oh, kryptonite's not a factor. So what's he going to be able to do with this? But it does, it does go off the rails. And as a story arc, 
it doesn't seem like a story arc. Right. And so I think now this might just be because I was really I was with you as you were talking about the fact that this was, you know, the first, you know, a time where they're not done in one stories and, and you know, you're really right. following something over truly an extended period of time here. It's not like they all of a sudden, oh, it's a two part story. I mean, this went for <laughs> quite a while. Yeah. But I think that and maybe we can just chalk this up to some growing pains of an early story arc where you know, these days, right, everything is so heavily serialized and it's assumed that you're going to read all the parts. And, you know, if you miss an issue, well, you can buy it on Comixology or you can wait for the trade. Right. Like you can get it. You can go to a comic shop. Yep. You can order online. Obviously, you didn't have that then. So I feel like as much as this is an arc, you know, I think they still had to sort of structure it in a way where you can read each issue on its own. But so the effect is that you have the same thing happening, like issue yeah. after issue. So in the first part where, uh, you know, all of kryptonite on Earth is, you know, rendered harmless, uh, we we have the creation of this Sandman creature uh, in the form of Superman. And we ultimately find out it's, it's this being from another dimension and it right. siphons off Superman's power. So it's like issue after issue of Superman trying to perform one of his heroic feats. And then the sand creature that for most of the story doesn't even speak kind of flies by and Superman loses part of his powers and whatever he's doing becomes infinitely more difficult, which was again, very interesting. And you get to see Superman sweat in a way that you wouldn't yeah. normally, but it's like issue after issue of that happening. <laughs> and after a while it does get a little repetitive and tedious. Well, and, and I think historically this is Denny O'Neill's, first attempt at Superman. And I think it's his last attempt at Superman. I think it's, I think they were like, Ooh, let's, let's give him a try at that. See how it goes. And, but then he, I, I believe he then moved on to Batman and other things, but it is, when I say the word bananas, it is. And, and this could be just for us as we haven't read as much consistently from the end of the silver into the bronze, but I, I kept writing like quick, like asterisk notes of things that superheroes can do that we didn't think they can do, but they can do. So for example, like Wonder Woman knows how to pick locks. Like, okay. like it, there's weird stuff <laughs> that just comes around. Like, why does she know how to do that? Like um, Lois Lane knows karate. And I don't know where that came from. And I don't know whether that was like out of some late Silver Age 60s infatuation with martial arts, but it was just, it, reading it as a first time reader. It was going like, what just happened? Where am I? Like it, it was it was hilarious to me. I, I was laughing out loud, which would like really make Renee, my wife, laugh because she's like, is it, is it funny? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's crazy. It's just weird. Like, it's just... OK, so I had a similar experience during this story arc when you know again his superman's really struggling with his his power level and he's yeah. unable to save this building from collapsing and i will say i think it was a it was a powerful moment where you you know you see him fail in a way that he typically doesn't mm -hmm. and then like the next scene is him like walking the streets of metropolis yes. and he's getting heckled I don't know if it's yeah. like construction workers or something, but they're like, <laughs> they're like throwing these jabs at him. They're like, Hey, Superman better watch out for falling buildings. I, I, yes. And it was so funny to me how quickly they turned on him. But I will say this in all fairness, it did lead to what I thought was one of the more interesting resonant moments of the storyline where, yeah. you know, via the thought bubble, Superman's like, how quickly 
do these people forget all the things I've done for them? And, you know, not necessarily in an arrogant way, but even if there is a touch of arrogance, I think it's earned. I mean, it's like, how many times has he saved the city and the world and the universe? And so I thought the fact that, and I think, Again, when we want to talk about, you know, kind of drawing a line between these various eras, I think a moment like that, as small as it was, I think that really does point to a shift that we're seeing. Because I don't think you would have necessarily gotten that in an earlier story. He calls them ingrates. Yes. And, okay, so can I lightly swear on this podcast? Yeah, go for it. So here's what I wrote when I read 240. Issue 240, I see that panel and it says, I wrote, well, Superman screwed up. People get shitty. He's basically like, well, F those people. But then on the next page realizes he can't do that. <laughs> like it's, it is, it's legit where he feels so bad. And, and he's like, no, sh- screw those people. That's not cool. And then, and he's like, but wait a second. No, I've, I've worked on this and you do see, that's what I'm talking about. That contemplative side, that introspective side where he's, like a regular person, we see Clark Kent in Superman. Yeah. Like how would how would you or I respond to like you're just trying to do something good for people, and then yeah, it's not perfect, but then you get like heckled by the crowd, and you're going like, no, screw you guys. But then he's going, you know what? They don't they don't know any better. I'm still trying. They they mean well. That kind of stuff. So it it is just funny because I'm reading this, and it like like you just going wow, that's just weird. Like what a weird emotional shift inside the book in like, and it was within a page and a half, Anthony, it was real quick. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, it it is a bit, (laughs) you get a little bit of whiplash with this, but again, the fact that the story was even going in that direction, you know, was interesting. Um, You know, we also have in the story, um, you know, Morgan Edge now owns Galaxy Broadcasting Company, which owns the Daily Planet. And- very early on in the story he puts Clark on on TV and you know this was a staple of the of the Bronze Age stories where t, you know Clark was not just a newspaper reporter but an on-air TV news anchor and I'll say a couple of things uh, one I because I I mean I knew this plot point mm-hmm. uh, even though I had never really read many stories you know dealing with it I thought it was going to feel more dated than it did in in fairness yeah. to the story I mean I, I don't know it it didn't I didn't necessarily find it jarring in that sense, but you know, it's just, (laughs) I feel like as far as the believability of Clark being able to keep his secret, this really, really pushes it. And it, and it also, aside from the fact that, oh, he's on TV, people will see him. Of course they would wreck. Even putting that aside, it also makes Clark a celebrity. And there's a story that um, was not quote unquote assigned, but like just right before we started, I was, I found a couple of other ones on the app, thankfully, but yeah. surprisingly. And I was reading them. And um, there's a story where Clark uh, loses his job. It's ultimately a, a machination of Lex. And, and we can get into that oh, later. Okay. But but he loses yeah. his job and he's on the unemployment line. And like all the people mm-hmm. behind him are talking about him because they all recognize Clark Kent from the news. And oh. it's like giving him that level of celebrity I don't I don't think that really works. What was your take on Clark as because again we see this throughout the Bronze Age. Well, and I, so I was trying to think about that. So like you said, one of the staples is Morgan Edge shifts to now TV. And I was thinking like, you know what? That makes total sense though if you think about early 1970s, 
late 1950s, we see the dawn of color TV. You know, now we're heading into 1970, where pretty much every household has a television. We are now fully vested in media as television. It does kind of seem stupid to have a comic book character only be a newspaper reporter. Like, it seemed like that kind of made sense. Like, let's be more relevant. Let's make it seem more present day. And now it seems archaic to us. Like, if anything, now Superman should be an influencer. Um, and, and um, but like, that is the first thing. I forget which issue it was. Was he, was he covering a volcano eruption? Yeah. And then, and then he had to like place the camera in a way where he could like, do the quick blurb and then like quickly get off camera, change, be Superman and come back. And I'm going, Oh, how does he not screw this up? How does he not accidentally come back in front of the camera wearing his glasses and Superman outfit? Like, I just feel like as a reporter, it's so much easier. You're just writing a story, but now it's like, I can see you. Like you are clearly Superman and you just have glasses on. (laughs) Like, I don't know. But that's been the argument from people for decades like if i'm wearing glasses i'm bernie with glasses it's not like and that bald guy kind of looks like superman but like so it's just kind of weird although i will say this in defense well actually two things one you know henry cavill i think when batman v superman was coming out you know he went to times square and like he put glasses on he's like no one recognized him but that aside (laughs) a personal experience i um so a few years ago i got A few years ago, I got LASIK, which was amazing and life-changing. But yes, prior to that, I had very poor eyesight. And so I primarily wore contacts. But every now and then, if I was lazy, you know, whatever, I I would just wear glasses. And I mean, this is not an exaggeration. I mean, there was one day I went to work with my glasses. And yes, people ultimately recognized me. But I did get a number of like, oh, I didn't recognize you at first. And so it's the sort of thing that like, yes, after an extended period of time, of course, someone yeah. would recognize him, but at least initially, and again, I've experienced this. It's like, it's enough to kind of like throw people off a little bit, but yeah, putting him on TV like that, I think so, just so pushes it. I feel like, you know, because again, obviously, right, the the place that, the role that a newspaper serves, the, the place that it occupies mm-hmm. in society has changed a lot from 1938 to now but i feel like more recent stories and you know again i know i'm always talking about how much i love birthright but i feel like birthright and that was early 2000s but i feel like that did a nice job of showing the evolution like recognizing that um the state of the print journalism industry has changed without without taking too far of a leap because you know in that story that you know perry's barking about like updating the homepage and stuff like that so like it shows that it's like okay the content is being delivered in a different way but the mm-hmm. job itself is still kind of ultimately the same. Whereas this, again, put Clark right. in a completely different situation. And again, I, I, I guess I get the instinct to try something different. But yeah, I mean, put, <laughs> putting him on TV, I feel like was was, was a bridge well, too far. Well, and it's dangerous, I guess. Okay, I guess we have to remember that it's 1971. So everything is live television. There are no DVRs. Yeah. There are no VCRs. There's no access to rewind it. It's like, bloop, gone. And and that's it. So at the same token, that's kind of how Superman is. He's there. He fixes it. He's gone. Like, you don't really get a chance to stand in front of him. Unless you're Lois Lane, Jimmy, 
maybe a few other villains, it's not like they have a lot of close contact like you and I are having right now where you know exactly every feature of Superman's face. You just know, oh, he's a tall dude that's kind of buff. He's got black hair. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, as far as Kryptonite Nevermore, um, you know, overall, I, you know, I felt that the threats that he was facing were more more grounded, but then there were outliers. There were a few, yeah. you know, kind of supernatural ones. There was the story with the Devil's Harp, uh, where, yeah. the, where the villain of the piece can steal abilities from other people by playing this harp. You know, there was another yeah, issue yeah. where where Superman was uh, was hypnotized and like transported to this other planet and got involved in this intergalactic uh, police chase. You know, th- yes. so there was there was some out there stuff, but I feel like overall yeah. it you know was more grounded and it allowed for you know moments like the one we discussed where he, um, you know, is is feeling some frustration at as he calls these these ingrates. There's also yeah. there's a point where he he's basically completely powerless, and there are some some thugs who beat him. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I feel like the level of violence that you see, I mean, it's not graphic by today's standards, but I feel like the level right. of violence that you see compared to what you would be used to from the Silver Age was far more pronounced. Yeah. Uh, you know, un, unbeknownst to him and to the audience initially, he he is he's injured. He has brain damage. Yes, he's out of it. He's out of it. And then his powers are restored, but the brain damage is still there. And so we have like this stretch where he's like acting wildly out of character, um, which again yes. was, uh, you know, was humorous. That was one of the other things that uh, that that I was laughing at. You know, we also had the, the character of, I don't know the correct pronunciation, I, I Ching, but uh, very oh, stereotypical so- caricature of, of an Asian person. Uh, yes. Down to the literally the yellow coloring, it, you know, it was uh, unfortunately, I, I, you know, a product of the times, I guess I chalk it up to that rather than ill intent. But, you know, definitely right. very dated does not age well. Well, and did you catch I wrote holy racist Batman? Somebody somebody referred to him as Charlie Chan. Yep. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I mean, and again, I'm going I'm thinking in a 2021 lens. Not that it makes it okay, but I was like, that's just unfortunate that that was how things were and people were treated at that point. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, it's like the Asian mystic. It's like, I feel like it, you know, just plays into any stereotype that you would have about the character. But he becomes Superman's guide, you know, sort of through navigating this, this sand creature that's siphoning his strength. And, um, you know, we've been going almost an hour, so I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I want to make sure we get to all the other stories. But that's um, fine. But the, the thing that I guess... At the, at the very end of the story, and this was where it really lost me, was, you know, the sand creature has, you know, siphoned <laughs> an amount of Superman's power and and the, the mystic offers to restore or at least try to restore Superman's full power. Yeah. And Superman turns him down. Yeah. Because it's something along the lines of, and maybe you have the, you remember the line more specifically, but something along the lines of like, well, I know power can, you know, power can corrupt or something like that. Like I know what too much power can do. So he leaves power on the table and chooses Mm -hmm. not to get it. And, you know, for people who listen to the episode that we did about um, uh, the TV's crisis event and the fact that the Clark Kent of Smallville chose to divest himself of all the power it's like, I don't, maybe this is just a personal thing, but I just can't get past this willing forfeiture of power. I, I just, can't, I, 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 it's a, I don't know, maybe it's just a personal thing, but it really bugs me. So as much as, again, I know subsequent stories 
you know, worked with a Superman who was had a higher power level. At the looking at this story in a vacuum, he leaves the story with a far decreased power set. Yeah, by and, choice. Okay, so what, that episode you did, what is that, Clark? The Arrowverse failed, Clark. Yeah, how or the Arrowverse like failed the Clark Kent of small. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. I'm listening to that and and I love listening to your podcast because I go on I go like I feel like right and left I go back and forth like wait but oh no wait but and I totally agree with you where it's dude you're superman you have these powers you can right so many wrongs you can do these things I get you want to have a family but at the same time like you're super you can do these things that nobody can do like and and honestly the conversation i would love to have with you and this is going to come later is you know what and i think you've taught us a little bit but what how would we react now to like somebody with powers yep. you know and, and the snyder verse i think actually deals with it much better than people really want to admit that it does but you know, I felt the same way. The I Ching thing towards the end. So they're fighting. I felt like it was the most abrupt ending to a story arc also. So here's what I, I, I wrote down. They're fighting, destroying things. I Ching shows them it's an illusion. And then out of nowhere, the Sandman says, I don't have the right to Superman's powers and body. And then he's going to give him his powers back. And Superman says... No, it's okay. And he goes to think under a tree. Like that, I went, dude, you should not be thinking under a tree. Like, what are you talking about? I said, like, yep, thanks. And then like, take it all back. <laughs> like, that's it. But yeah, like you said, he's now, I don't, we don't even know what capacity he's now at. Is he like half power? He's still doing weird things. He's got super hypnotism for God's sake. I don't even know what that means. So it just, that's a that's a whole other Bronze Age discussion we can go through, but I I'm I am totally with you where it is. No, 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 no. They put it on the table. Take it back. And that's I think that's also a reason why Denny was like, "Thanks, buddy. Like you're good." <laughs> Ultimately, I do appreciate the ideas um, and the moments that it allows. And it you know again, look, this is our first Bronze Age story, so it's like yeah, there right. are going to be some growing pains. There's going to be an evolution, but this at least allows for some of that. And, um, you know, there again, I would say I probably enjoyed this the least out of all the stories that I read. Um, but I, I respect and I admire it. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's ultimately where I land on, on, on nevermore. I don't know that I necessarily be going back to it all the time, but I, I appreciate what it did. No, I don't think I never, ever read, need to read it again. I think I was excited because, okay, cool. Like, now it's part of my journey. I'm understanding that. And I'm excited to now talk about the other three things that we have in the Bronze Age. Yeah, for sure. And actually, that's a perfect uh, point to uh, jump to a quick commercial break. And then, uh, yeah, when we come back, we'll get into the rest of those stories. So we will be right back. If you enjoy this show, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. I also hope you'll consider joining my Patreon community. The support of my patrons enables me to produce this podcast and... Patrons get rewards too, including exclusive episodes, advanced listens, and more. Sign up today and get instant access to the back catalog. Visit patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. Thank you to all of my patrons. I truly appreciate your support. The Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. 
Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, the Hive is where to be. Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In The Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. All right, and we're back. Uh, I guess I, I would love to jump to uh, Must There Be a Superman, the uh, the yes. Elliot the Elliot S. Magan story uh, from, I have my own notes here, uh, right, from Superman 247, 1972, uh, where, you know, yeah, so I mean, Superman completes a mission for uh, the Guardians of the Universe, uh, and while he's recuperating from the mission, they, they play some mind games on him. And oh, they, dude, yeah. Like they 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 plant this idea through their conversation about whether you know Superman's presence on Earth and the role that he's playing is impeding the the culture's advancement, and so like they start to bring it up in conversation, then they quickly drop it before they can really explore it, and then they start whispering about it, knowing that he'll overhear them with his with his super hearing. But it you know it it implants this idea of you know again as the title of the story suggests. Must there be a Superman? Uh, which again, I thought was really interesting and a very cool idea to have explored. What, what was your take on this story? So, really cool. We're we're like five or six issues from Nevermore. Okay, so what I right away notice is the tone is totally different. It it, it is it is much more irrelevant. I think I think it's relevant today. I, I really enjoyed reading this one. Um, I, it is a Superman again, being contemplative, being, wait a second, am I slowing down the cultural movement or the progression of the human race because I'm helping too much? I think he proves really, really well in this issue why if Superman was here today, he could solve big picture things but he does he shouldn't get involved in the little minutia and what i mean by that is like what what is the quote he said what i loved oh, okay so they're picking on the kid so the kid is standing up he's the only one that is actually going to go through with the strike where the, the the farmers are not getting paid their due they're working hard the kid he's probably like 13 12 years old and then Superman shows up and he goes, whoa, wait a second. You're here. Why didn't you stop this? You're all pretty brave now that I'm here. Now that Superman's here and I can like break this guy in half, you're all real. You, you've got like Superman muscles. But he said, you were here. You could have helped this. You should have done this. That story from 1972 might as well be written in 2021. Like that's what I was like, whoa, this is way ahead of its time. But if you think about it, we're still talking about race relations in the early 70s. We're talking about inappropriate payment for immigrants and migrant farmers. I, I loved this issue, Anthony. 
as I, I did as well. You know, it's one of those ones like that's included in the, um, I think the, the 80 year hardcover, you know, it's one of those stories that always gets yeah. reprinted and going into it, I was like, well, how good could it be? You know, cause sometimes things are built up so much and it, it's hard to live up to it, but mm-hmm. this was great. And yeah, the, the scene, um, you know, with the farmers was, was very, very strong. And cause it, it does, you know, call to mind that question. It's like, in an ideal scenario, what does Superman's presence in the world do? Well, it right. emboldens the other people around this kid to step in when they see him being hurt. But that's unfortunately in this case, that's not the effect that it has. And, you know, so Superman articulates exactly what you described. And then it's, and not to laugh, but it's like, then there's this earthquake and like all their homes yes. are destroyed and he has to save them and he has to rebuild their homes and they're yeah. all cheering for him. And he's like, listen, I only did this because you could, this wasn't a problem you could yeah. foresee or solve on your own. But yeah. for things like the bullying that this kid was experiencing, you should be able, you shouldn't need me. This, right. um, there's the scene the the first thing that came to mind with this was, um, the scene in Superman, the movie, which mm. that will be its own episode down the line. But it's like, we, you can't have a discussion of bronze age Superman and not talk about Superman, the movie. I mean, oh, as, no. you know, we're getting there. We're going to talk about it. We're going mean, to go, as, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, as much as Superman, as much as Adventures of Superman, the George Reeves series, you know, was a big right. piece of the end of the Golden oh. Age into the Silver Age. Similarly here, um, you know, this was as far as adaptations and just like global events, Superman wise. I mean, the release of Superman, the movie in 78, like that was it. But there's the scene and I believe this was cut out of the theatrical version, but it's in the special edition and the three hour cut where Superman has this heart to heart with Jor-El after his first night of superheroics. And Jor-El says, okay, you have to still keep your secret identity. And Superman says, why? And Jor-El's like, well, the reasons are twofold. The second reason is that people would, you know, villains would go after his friends and family to get at him. But the first reason is that if you were Superman all the time, like the humans would rely on you constantly and they wouldn't solve problems that they would be able to solve themselves. Jorel says, he's like, humans, like, it's their nature to abuse whatever resources they have. So that's what I thought of when I read this issue. It's really interesting. So are you are you caught up yet with the Superman and Lois show by any chance? I'm one episode behind as of this recording. As am I. Okay. So <laughs> that means... You saw the episode where Superman randomly hears the robbery happening in Mexico or Guatemala yes. or something like that. And I listened to that. And I'm going like, oh, man, could this be any more relevant to what we're about to talk about? Like, I I like vehemently disagreed with that. I was like, seriously, like he's that's he shouldn't be solving bank robberies. He's Superman. Like if there's a mudslide that's going to destroy an entire village, that's what Superman does. Like. I can't do that. A fireman can't do that. A police officer can't do that. I love this, this, I keep saying episode, this issue, um, because Superman can rebuild houses after an earthquake. He can't stand up for what's right. He can help you, like, smack you in the head and go, guys, you can do this. You can be Superman and women by being strong charactered, by standing up against bullies and those kind of things. But natural disasters, those kind of things, that's what Superman does. Um, 
standing up for what's right needs to come from people. And that's why I loved this issue. That's, that's what really, that's what I walked away with going, Oh, he's really now thinking, what is my role? Must there be a Superman? Yes. But there are like guidelines. Like what should Superman really do is what the end of the title should now be. There's actually an episode that uh, I'm going to do not too long from now, actually. But we're going to take a look at uh, a few stories like Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, uh, Superman <laughs> Peace on Earth, the Alex Ross story. Yeah. There's an issue yeah. from Batman No Man's Land. A few stories that all kind of point at this question of like, well, what should he do? I mean, if he has all this power, should he not disarm the world of nuclear weapons? Should he not you know, uh, eliminate world hunger. It's like, what, you know, what, what should he be doing? Um, which I think really is an interesting question. This gets at that. But the thing that I, uh, one of the other things that I really love about this is that I don't feel like the story gives an answer, but I think that's right. a good thing. It's the fact that he's just thinking about this, um, mm -hmm. that, that I think makes it so effective. And there really isn't an easy answer. Um, but yeah, this is a standout yeah. story. I mean, definitely a quintessential bronze age Superman story. It, again, there's, there's this level of introspection that you don't normally get. And right. even just from the beginning of the story, like he's, he's doing this mission for the guardians. It's like, you see him more out there in the DC universe. Um, right. And there are, well, I guess for the man who has everything features Batman and Robin and wonder woman. Uh, most of the rest of the stories that we're talking about don't necessarily do that. But again, throughout the bronze age, you did have more of, of him interacting with the rest of the DC universe. Um, so another hallmark of, of the era you know, while you were mentioning about, um, you know, some of the social issues that this issue touched on, one of the issues that I read that this was not assigned, but it was in the Superman in the 70s trade, um, it's an issue of Lois Lane, uh, issue 106 from, uh, from 1970, I Am Curious, Black, have you ever read that, where Lois no. becomes a black woman for a day? You know, I've heard about it, but I have not, I have not read it. What issue is it? It's uh, 106. Oh, okay. From 19 Superman 106? It's Mo no, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. Oh, it's Lois Lane 106. No, I don't have that one. No. Yeah. So it's an issue of Lois Lane from 1970. So right at the very beginning of the decade, I thought this was yeah. a very, very powerful, interesting issue. And I was surprised that they went where they did, you know, yeah. at the very beginning of, of 1970. But yeah, the basic premise is that Lois is uh, trying to do a story in a black neighborhood and everyone, you know, turns her away. And so Superman has this transformation chamber and uh, transforms her into a black woman for a day. It was, you know, in the last episode, I used a, the Friends analogy uh, when, in talking about Silver Age Superman. In this episode, um, are you familiar with Family Matters? Oh, gosh, Steve Urkel and, uh, yeah. So Steve Urkel, with his increasingly outlandish, out-of-this-world inventions, including a transformation chamber, that's what I thought of yeah. when I was reading this story. Anyway, <laughs> look, it's a contrived device, but the end result is that Lois spends 24 hours as a black woman, and, mm. you know, the same cab driver who was so quick to pick her up at the beginning of the issue drives right by her and picks up a white man instead. You know, there are a few instances like that. And, you know, this time she is welcomed within the black community and, you know, she sees there's one woman in particular who takes her in, who, you know, you know, doesn't live in a great place and doesn't have a lot, but still offers her hospitality. And that really makes an impression. And then there's this activist who is sh a black activist who is shot and uh, Lois gives him a, a blood transfusion. And at the end of the episode, after she's returned to her, um, her, her white skin, 
uh, she approaches this man and he had previously turned her away. Um, but now he embraces her. And so the last panel is, you know, the, the two of their hands, a black hand and a white hand together. And, and it was really powerful. I feel like though this story had its limits because there was this inter this exchange between Lois and Superman where Lois says, well, if I'm not able to, you know, return to being a white woman, like, would you still marry me? And, Superman, he's like, well, how could you even ask me that? It's like, I'm the ultimate outsider, seeming to imply that, no, it wouldn't make a difference. Yet right. he then says, but I can't marry anyone because I'm Superman. And I feel like that was the limitation of how far they would go, right? Right. Um, but again, for 1970, I mean, it was a very, I, I thought, a very forward-thinking uh, story. Yeah. And definitely again, an outlier as far as all of the, you know, the ones that we're talking about, but I did read that right. in the trade. I wanted to bring it up and it ties in again to what you were saying about, you know, some of the social issues. Fascinating issue. Is that issue in the seventies trade? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. I'm so, I'm so excited to go back. As you said, it's one Oh six. Yeah. So that's in there. And, you know, kind of, I guess one other thing when we're talking about changing wow. storytelling sensibilities, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, we're seeing a shift here. One is that the creators are finally credited in, in in all of these issues you didn't always have yes. that before and yeah. um you know in the in the silver age you started to see a shift and we talked about this in the last episode where stories would last an entire issue but they were still right. broken up into chapters now we've, we're finally getting to the point some of these stories do have backup stories but for the most we're right. for a decent amount we're getting you know stories that run an entire issue so again the sensibilities are yeah. shifting yeah the last main thing that I do want to hit on with the 70s is that story, that four-part storyline that, again, I know you didn't have a, have a chance to read, but uh, it's called yeah, Who, took the, Who Took the Super Out of Superman? It's a four-part storyline. So, again, going back to these multi-issue arcs, yeah, Superman uh, 296 to 299, and this was co-written by Carrie Bates and Elliot Magan. So you had the two of them together, which was uh, pretty rare, I think, and... I won't, again, I won't do a whole, uh, a, an entire plot breakdown. The plot itself was pretty silly and, and contrived, but the setup for it is that when, <laughs> whenever Clark is wearing, whenever Superman is wearing his Clark Kent clothes, he doesn't have his powers. And for most of the arc, we don't know why. It turns out there's this alien who lives next door to him who has this assignment from his home world, this 30 year assignment, because he arrives on earth the same time Clark does as a baby. But uh, what we ultimately find out is that is that this neighbor effectively sunscreened all of Clark's Clark Kent clothes so that when he wears them, it blocks the blocks the sun. Now, this doesn't account for the fact that he could absorb it through his his face or his hands. It doesn't yeah. account for the fact that he wouldn't instantly lose his powers. Right. Like he would still have them, you know, is somewhat somewhat of a reserve. Or so, not wear yeah. the same clothes all the time. Apparently, he never gets his clothing dry cleaned <laughs> or, or anything like that. There's a lot of goofy stuff about it. You know what was so funny to me about that aspect of it was this was an alien character, right? Yeah, and right. they could have given him any powers or any device. Like, they could have come up with yeah. any other reason why this would work. I feel like the reason they went with was just like, why? Why would you pick that? There were so many holes in that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's the base. Oh, although it does lead to one of the, this. I was cackling down here in Flat Squirrel Studios as I was reading this, where 
Uh, and this was also part of the run where like Superman or Clark, Clark was investigating intergang and running afoul of them. And they were sending in this issue, they, they deliver this, this robot to his house to kill him. And it's, you know, it's all boxed up though. Right. And so it bursts yeah. free and it attacks him. And he's, he's dressed as Clark with the Superman costume underneath and he can't do anything cause he's in the Clark clothes. And so he's peeling off the clothes, but it's like, even the pants around his ankles are enough to nullify his powers. It is the funniest thing that it's like his pants are around his ankles. Otherwise he's, oh. otherwise he's fully clothed as Superman and he still doesn't have his powers. It is I'm so, hilarious. I'm so excited because I, I know that for a fact that I own 296 and 299. Okay. You got to read it. Yeah, I'm, I'm now, now I'm going to read them because that sounds ridiculous. So, okay. So now I, I've done the humorous part, but let me say the reason why yeah. I'm bringing this up, which is that yeah. um, basically Superman decides that he has to choose between being Clark. Or, now you could argue, well, even if you're stuck in this situation, it's like, it's just a matter of changing your clothes, but we'll put that aside. So he spends one issue um, entirely as Clark for a week. And what he finds is that it's it's too painful for him to see these crimes and natural disasters play out where he could have stopped them. Although there are instances, to your, to your earlier point, where like um, there's a fire and the fire department shows up and they put out the fire. And so he sees like, okay, like some of these things can be taken care of, but ultimately it, it is too difficult for him. How, however... And I think it is issue 277. It's, I think it's the second part of the storyline where he spends a week as Clark. All of a sudden, right, he doesn't have to play the meek, mild Clark. And so he takes Lois out and it's implied that they spend the night together. It, yeah. And it's, you know, again, for the 70s, it was like they're on the couch. They start kissing. It's like you don't normally see this. So he's yeah. make, he's putting the moves on Lois. Um, he's like physically putting Steve Lombard, the sportscaster who's always picking on Clark, like physically putting Steve in his place. Like Clark is actually allowing himself to be a little aggressive, a little angry. He stands up to Morgan Edge. Morgan Edge is like, you're going, you're going, uh, overseas. And Clark's like, no, I'm not doing that. It's like all of a sudden, like he's not held back. It's fascinating to see Clark. Oh. And there's also... This beautiful panel where Superman is planning, you know, to spend the week as Clark, and he says, "Like I'm, I forget the exact line, but something along the lines of like, like I'm looking forward to getting to know Clark and who Clark is." It was really interesting. The next issue, then he spends his tire entirely as Superman and finds that like he he's not allowed to take a break. Even Jimmy Olsen, like, is just like, "Hey, you got to get out there and and you know, uh, you know, do whatever." So he finds that he, ultimately the moral of the story, right, is that he has to be both Clark and Superman. But I, I mean, I love that so much because in so many of the other pre-crisis stories, Clark really is just a means to an end for him. But in yeah. this story shows, and so many of these other Bronze Age stories show, and this is why I, I really do appreciate the Bronze Age, that, you know, Clark really is a part of who he is. And so I like that a lot. And this story showed it. And uh, yeah, certainly you have the issues. I encourage you to read them. And for anyone who who doesn't, they're on the website, Superman Through the Ages. That's where I read them. That's the only nice. friggin' place where you can read them. So that's where they are. Uh, I tell yeah. you, like so many things about what you just said sparked things about the Superman character that either have rung true or bothered me about the, its, its development over the decades. I think... I feel like the late 70s 
and I don't know whether this is chicken or egg, but whether the movies spawned this into the comics or the comics spawned this into the movies, that why we made Clark this bumbling idiot and why we had to make him so weak and powerless and meek. We could just make him a regular guy. Right. Like, that's, that's fine. We don't have to make him like... I feel like sometimes, I don't know whether it was the direction they gave Christopher Reeve that then bled into the comic book world, but from that point through the 80s, like we really see Clark is kind of a doofus. He's he's not he's not a stand up for himself kind of guy. You can stand up for yourself and not be Superman. I think I think he is Clark Kent. I, I think he is Clark Kent dna even while he's kryptonian dna he is clark kent that happens to have kryptonian powers like that's that's where i get really frustrated with new turns on the character whether it be movie tv comics whatever we can't treat him like he wasn't raised by jonathan martha kent Mm -hmm. like you live in that house and turn out to be the guy that he should be he just gets to leap tall buildings and fly to different planets and throw cars and stop supervillains but like when you remove the clark kent from the superman he's not superman that's all there is to it like and and every now and then when i see the bumbling clark kent i'm like he wasn't i don't think he was bumbling in smallville so why is he now bumbling as an adult that's what frustrates me a lot when i see that i i agree and uh you know, it's, I was thinking about this in advance of, of this episode. I, I think, you know, when I look at the various incarnations of the character in comics, but even more so in the adaptations, I think that's where this really comes into play. I think my ultimate enjoyment in a lot of instances comes down to whether I think of that version of, of the character as Superman or as Clark. And when I look at Smallville... He's Clark, obviously. I mean, you know, of, of course. But well, but even, yeah. you know, in the Snyder movies, it's like, he's, he's Clark. It's like, and then he puts on a costume, but he's Clark. Like, that's who he is. That's who I connect with. The Superman and Lois show, same thing. Yet, and again, there's a lot I love about the Christopher Reeve performance and the first movie, but I look at that movie, it's Superman. It's, it's yeah. not, you know, it's not Clark. As Very soon as true. he goes into that fortress for his 15-year tutorial... Um, you know, he ceases being, don't even, please don't even get me started on, (laughs) you know, he ceases being Clark. So yeah, I think so much of that, you know, that's always at play for me when I'm, when I'm looking at this and and thinking about, you know, what I like, but I mean, I will say overall, I feel like bronze age treated Clark pretty well overall. I mean, I get what you're saying about the, the movie incarnation bleeding in. I, I don't necessarily disagree, but, um, I mean, Clark, I think, is shown to be like a pretty competent, certainly a pretty competent, you know, reporter and news anchor and, and stuff like that. So I, I yeah. don't feel like he gets the short end of the stick, as, certainly not as much as he did, like, in the Silver Age. Not, yeah. you know, he's not treated as well as, as he is in the Burn era, for sure. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, yeah, right. But I feel like maybe this is a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a middle ground. There, oh, there was one. There was one uh, late '70s story that uh, I know is a favorite of yours. We didn't touch on it, but uh, Superman takes a wife. So right at this point, the the Golden Age Superman has been repositioned as the Superman of Earth Two, and so we yeah. have this uh, this story. Superman takes a wife. Carrie Bates was the writer. 
um, action yeah. 484. Also, again, I know in most of these instances we're mentioning the the, the writer. The, the right. artist in almost all of these stories is Kurt Swan. I mean, I, yeah. you know, there there was an episode a while back where where Ken Marion asked me my my top five Superman artists, and I didn't include Kurt Swan at the time. I would like to amend that um, because just the how prolific he was, how consistent the art was, and also again, and whether this was a function of you know the scripts changing and or his art changing, I don't know exactly where the line is, but you you really do see the art grow and evolve. As it's not like he's just drawing them the same way. Uh, so my no. my goodness, I mean, just absolutely I- iconic. Um, but yeah, so this story from Superman seventy eight. Where uh, we check in with the Superman of Earth 2, the Golden Age Superman. Um, what yeah. uh, what stands out to you about this storyline? This is where he ultimately, where the, the Golden Age Superman, a.k.a. the Superman of Earth 2, uh, marries Lois Lane. First as Clark Kent, when he doesn't remember that he's Superman, <laughs> and then as Superman. It, but, yeah. Gosh, okay, so I, I read this a long time ago, and I love, again, it's just very... It's very interesting the Lois and Clark dynamic versus the Lois and Superman dynamic. They're they're very very different. It's how Lois talks to Clark. E- like even though they're like she loves both of them. Like like how she talks to Clark and how she talks to Superman totally different. And and it's it's just that always stood out to me as odd. Um who was the artist on this one? It was still Kurt Swan on this one too. Um what what stood out to me, Anthony? Gosh, um, I I guess I would say how she was so still like dumbfounded that she was married to Superman, like that she figured it out, that she was able to like have her cake and eat it too, that she was able to be with Clark and with Superman. Um, yeah, I mean, I. It is such an old story. What year is this from, though? 78. It's, it is 70. It looks so much older, though. It was like the 40-year anniversary. It does look... That's yeah, I think they old. tried to emulate, I they, guess, they the, more of the golden age style. They in a very old fashion. Yeah, Kurt like went back to a very old style. Um, well, at that point, too, something like the readers should know or just like fans should know there's a dichotomy between Cal L and Cal L. Yes. So you start to see the Earth One and Earth Two shift out of the ages too. Like really, Bronze Age starts to focus primarily on Earth One, and yes. it starts. To, it's really it's focusing on Cal E L, but then this is talking about more Cal L Earth Two. And that's what stood out to me as like a, a groundbreaker that really, when you look at things like Crisis on Infinite Earths and Infinite Crisis, this is where that came from. And and I that, that's what stands out to me the most as like the historical benchmark of the issue, not so much the content. Like it's it's still pretty, it's still pretty cheesy. <laughs> I, you know, though I'll say I was a fan because it was cool. Like the, I mean, the, again, this, again, the setup was very silly, but basically there's this yeah. magician who's hired by criminals and he he cast a spell to to eliminate the existence of superman and so it's like superman disappears underground but with superman gone clark emerges and he doesn't have any knowledge of of his life as superman 
Um, but in, I guess kind of in a similar way to the the storyline that I talked about before, who took the super out of Superman. It's like, yeah, now we just see Clark like just going all out as a reporter yeah. and uh, and he's he does a great job and he wins the heart of Lois and, and all of this stuff. And then uh, but he still has his powers. There is that like very humorous sequence, I guess, on the honeymoon where I, oh, I think it's yeah. intergang like tries to take him out or something like that. They shoot at him and he doesn't even feel it. Um, but you know, Lois clocks what's happening and she realizes she married Superman. And, and again, ultimately she's able to convince the magician to undo this. Uh, and so now he's, he's fully whole, but there was a great moment too. I had forgotten about this, but it just came to mind where I think right. Lois says to Superman, like, Oh, I guess this is it for us basically. Yeah. Right. And he's like, no, like I, you know, like, you know, we're, you know, we're married and I, I can have this. And I thought that was great. And so then they, they get, they get remarried, uh, in the fortress, uh, under Kryptonian traditions and, uh, yeah, I, right. I, yeah, I thought it was, I'm glad you suggested that. I don't know that I would have necessarily read that, uh, on my own, but again, I, it was also a nice, uh, sort of full circle moment for me having started with the, all the golden age stories to kind of see that that incarnation of the characters have their moment there. I thought it was great. There were also a few stories that I read, uh, that featured Luther. There was one called Parasite's Power Play, uh, from 75, and that was uh, Superman uh, number 286. And the short version is that Lex has this whole plan that um, Parasite basically commandeers. Like he steals Lex's uh, memories and voice and he's able to activate this oh. plan that Lex has. And Lex and Superman end up having to work together uh, to stop Parasite. And I, it, was right. a, it was a cool story. Um, on the note of Lex, um, cause then he, so then there was also, um, I mentioned earlier the story where Clark gets fired. Um, I don't know if this arc itself really has a, a, a name, but it was a Superman 410 and then 412 and 413 all written by Carrie Bates. Um, but basically Lex, uh, creates this device that implants memories into Superman's mind such that Superman doesn't know what's real and what's not. And so he has this, he thinks he has this experience where he stops the satellite from crashing to earth. And then he tells Clark, he tells Clark about it. He writes up the story as Clark, but it turned out that it never happened. It was just an implanted memory from Lex's device. And Clark is discredited and loses his job. So Lex, oh, so it has it like Lex's plan has this inadvertent uh, byproduct of actually hurting Clark and Superman. And Superman's questioning his sanity. It. Yeah, it was uh, it was really cool. But the, I guess the reason, I mean, I'm always curious to see what Luther is like in any particular era, but I wanted to read it just to get a couple of stories of him in his in his purple outfit and the green war suit. And that was oh. what I wanted to ask you. What is your take on, on Lex in the war suit? I personally don't like that at all. I mean, I get why they felt... I mean, maybe maybe it's a good progression of the character. I my automatic go to who Lex Luthor is is Lex in the black suit. Lex is the businessman. Lex is Clancy Brown. Like he is smarter than everybody in the room, but he does not. He does not need to. I guess go to gadgets to to beat Superman. He's he's gonna do it with the power he wields in the name of Luther, basically. Um, I, I don't know. I I think when we went to the sci-fi Luther, he needs to have the power suit to try to be more powerful. I think that takes away from the essence of Lex Luther. 
Like Lex Luthor wants to be the most powerful mind and man. He doesn't want to be Superman. He wants to beat Superman because he's a man. So anytime I see the purple suit, he's trying to be powerful like Superman, and that bothers me more. I feel... You know, it's funny. I'm really wrestling with this. I And we'll do a, a more of a, I, I think I mentioned this in the previous episode. Well, I'm going to do more of a like Luther deep dive in the future. Mm-hmm. I, I think ultimately I agree with you. I think that's ultimately where I land if I really had to pick. Um, I, I guess I wrestle with it because, yeah, on the one hand, exactly to your point, I love the idea that he challenges Superman in a different way than right. almost any of his other villains. Um yeah, I don't know. There's there is some appeal to me of this idea that like with this suit, like he actually now can engage with Superman on that on that level. I guess I don't know. Maybe I would say I, I I'm okay with it sparingly, but not like mm-hmm. all the time. I I don't know. Ultimately, I do agree with you, but I will say, and, and I mentioned this in the last episode. One of the things that's so cool about going back to all these pre-crisis stories is that you know stories that I grew up reading that drew from them. You know, now yeah. I got to see where they came from. And, you know, famously, Jeff Loeb put Lex in the in the war suit at the end of the the public enemies arc where we right. got the end of his yep. tenure as president, which I didn't really love that um, for the reasons I discussed in that episode. But uh, but again, like it was cool to see these original stories with him in the war suit uh, as much as I do I, remain mixed on it. I may be the very small minority about this, but the only time I like Luther luther in the suit is when when he tries to protect metropolis when superman is out of commission we see this a lot in the late 2000s in the late 2010s where superman is hurt he's out for the count he's going you know what i will be the protector of metropolis that i have said i will always be if this stupid kryptonian didn't show up Um, And then he puts on the suit. And in some cases, he's doing it as like either an homage to Superman or in some cases he's doing it as a like an F you to Superman, basically saying, like, I never needed you to protect the city. I'm smarter than you. I just needed this suit to do it. And um, that's the only time I love it. I think I think his arrogance knows no bounds at that point where he's like, nope, I don't need you. I'm going to take care of the city. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, so shall we jump to uh, for the man who has everything here? This is one of my favorite Superman stories probably out there. This is for for not just this version, but also the animated version they created that that echoes it. There's slight changes between the two, but man, Alan Moore is so good, like on so many levels. So let's let's jump into this. Yeah. So for the man who has everything, I mean, this is again a quintessential. Superman tale really of any era, certainly of the Bronze yeah. Age. At the very end, uh, Superman Annual uh, number 11 from 1985. And uh, yeah, to your point, was adapted in uh, an episode of the Justice League cartoon, right? Yeah. And uh, I think the Supergirl TV show, right? Did it take off on that as well? Yeah, they did for The Girl Who Has Everything. Yeah, they did it season one. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Mongol uh, uses the the Black Mercy parasite uh, on on superman and it it gives him his heart's desire so in his mind he's living this whole life on krypton while in the real world uh batman the jason todd robin and uh and wonder woman are trying to free superman from the effects of the black mercy 
and fight Mongol uh, at, at the Fortress of Solitude on Superman's birthday. So, yeah, it is a standout Man, story. It's a standout story. And having not read it in probably 10 years at least, uh, and when I did, I think I might have flipped through it again, like, oh, I love this book. And then I just put it aside. Um, there are some really cool, knowing what we know now, moments that you're going, whoa, that's really messed up. Like what he says in that, like what Batman says a Jason Todd kind of moments and other little things throughout it. It's really, really cool. You want me to jump in? How are you? you want yeah, me to... let me, yeah. Yeah. Let me know uh, what, what you got there. So, so right off the bat, like, when you look at the storytelling ability of Alan Moore, Carrie, listen, Carrie Bates and everybody in like Elliot, they're great storytellers, but they're kind of the one trick pony. Like it's, you can tell the formula, how they approach it. The dialogue boxes versus the square descriptor exposition boxes that Alan Moore used are second to none. Like how he sets up atmosphere, tone, setting, character, it's really, really cool. It's a marked difference from anything we see sooner. And if and if you like this, you're gonna love whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. I mean, that's that's the next thing you should read if you haven't read that yet. A um, few things that stick out that are kind of cool, random little tidbits. Um, uh, Jason Todd, one woman makes some comment about being cold, and then Jason Todd goes. You're talking about being cold, wearing an outfit like that. And then and then Batman like pauses like, you know, I forget what he says, like, you know, clean thoughts, please, or something like yeah, that. He says, think clean thoughts, chum. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, boy. Like, um, so that was kind of a weird thing. But the thing that stuck out to me is a weird foreshadowing that Batman says to Jason, which I don't know. When was Death of the Family? Do you do you remember when Jason Todd eats it and like when does he die by the joker's hand is it late 80s i think it's late 80s i don't know offhand i think late 80s so batman says something to the effect of i don't know jason makes some comment about seeing something that's hard or, or rough and he says if you make a profession out of that mask you'll see a lot worse and i was like ooh, like if he has any idea what's coming like how he's going to go because he's true to being Robin. That, that was like, that was rough to read after not seeing it and not thinking about that. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did clock that as well. Um, and, 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 you know, like I said before, I mean, this is not certainly not the only instance in the bronze age, but among the stories we read, one of the only where, you know, you see the, the interaction with other, and in this case, the pillars of the DC universe of yeah, Batman Trinity. and Wonder Woman. Yeah. So that was cool. And I mean, yeah, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow is one of my all time favorite Superman stories. Um, and the only reason I didn't include it here is that, um, you know, we did a, a, I think a pretty full discussion of it in the, how the Arrowverse failed <laughs> the Clark right. Kent of Smallville episode. We were talking about final Superman stories. So for anyone who really wants to hear about that, we, we did talk about it in that other episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, this Alan Moore story is, is great. I mean, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, this idea of like what, what Superman really wants. And in this right. case, it's presented as this life on Krypton, which doesn't seem all that ideal in a lot of ways. No. I mean, there's this tension with his father who, you know, is, is part of this, um, like this sort of Rao movement. That's all about promoting the ways of old Krypton, which 
and again, I know I say this in like in a lot of episodes, but it's eerie to see the parallels uh, to what's happening today in, in a lot of respects. Yeah. That's what stood out there. That was the first thing, like as much as I love the Krypton concept of who Superman is, I guess, I guess having knowing the story and the point of the black mercy, like why they wouldn't have gone him living in Smallville or being married to Lois, um, having a kid with Lois, they show, it was a very interesting take, but I guess if Alan is looking at the breadth of the bronze age, Smallville is not a big part of it. Right. Like, there really isn't a Smallville past Jonathan Martha Kent. We don't see that until the reboot in 1987, where Smallville becomes something more ingrained in the Superman mythos. So I guess it makes sense. I think you and I would both love to see that more, but it makes sense for the time. Yeah, I, you know, you and I are on the same page because that's what that was, the, I guess, probably my biggest takeaway from this. It's like, would, would that life on Krypton... Even putting aside the, the 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 clear tensions that existed in this world, even putting that aside, just the basic idea of his ideal life is one on crypt on a Krypton that never exploded. You know, is that his heart's fondest desire? Right. You know, I, again, yes, not certainly not the Superman that 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 I grew up reading. But yeah, to your point, maybe this pre-crisis version, maybe that would. I mean, at a bare minimum. I, I do think it's fair to say there's at least a part of Superman for whom this would be ideal. I mean, so I, I think there's, you know, at least an aspect of the character where, yeah, this would be the, the wish fulfillment. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would have been interesting to see, like you said, the Smallville version. What was what was funny, though, and this was um, kind of a cool byproduct of doing all of this reading that, I, that I've been doing, the woman he's married to, Lila, you know, there was that whole return to Krypton issue in the Silver Age where he right. meets her and they fall in love and they're going to get married and, and, and all that. So as much as th like this was probably like, again, one of less than a handful of Bronze Age stories I had read before when I did read yeah. it previously, you know, the Lila of it all didn't really make there was no connection for me there. So now I got to read right. it in the context of the the return to Krypton story from the Silver Age. That, that was cool. I did like that. Well, okay, so I was trying to think about this. So when Alan Moore wrote this story, he's probably 35, I think, at this point, maybe. Mm. He's, he's, he's pretty young in his career. He's not, like, he's established, but he's not older. So what I was trying to think about, I think in the Silver Age podcast, you brought up, I think you brought up Dan Jurgens and how, you know, his influences were certain ages. So let's, oh, let's, right. take yeah, yeah. Any, let, let's take any writer that we care about or think about and go 20 years to 25 years earlier. Okay, so if, if Alan Moore is writing this in, what was this, buddy, 1985, all right? Mm -hmm. So that means when he may have been reading Superman or knows of Superman, that's 1960. Yeah. So it very well may be like the way you're talking about in the Silver Age podcast. We got Alan Moore, who he knows of Superman. His dream is all these Silver Age Kryptonians that showed up that I remember you guys were talking about, like, where did these all these people come from? My goodness. Like everybody named Al and Vaughn and, you know, all, you know, and so. I guess it's one of those you write what you know or you write what you want to pay tribute to. So 
that's where I come from is thinking that Alan Moore has no knowledge of what Smallville is or why he'd be wedded to Kansas. He's wedded to Krypton. So that was the only thing that I didn't personally like, but I had to like try to convince myself as to why I should like it. I guess does that make sense? That does. And I, I agree with you. And I think that does make a, that, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, the, the other thing about the story that, that really did strike a chord and we'll add this to the growing list of things that I, I feel, you know, more strongly about now as a dad, but it's like when, when, when Kal-El realizes that his son and his family, that they're not real and he, and you know, he's being pulled apart, you know, pulled away from, from the son that he, you know, has come to know and love in this, yeah. you know, a uh, fake world. Um, yeah, that really, that packed a punch. That was, and such that once, you know, Superman comes to in the fortress and he just unloads on Mongol. It's like you, you know, you feel that anger yeah. and that frustration and that loss. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a really strong story. Bruce, Tim and his whole crew do such an incredible um, adaptation that Justice League Unlimited episode I hurt when I, at the end of that episode, when that scene happens and then Superman loses it and he just, I'm, I'm afraid he's going to tear Mongol's head clean off. Well, one of the things that I really liked about it, and I think, you know, this, this kind of satisfies what you and I were talking about, about like the Smallville of it all in that version, he's not married to, um, well, I don't know what name they give her, but it's the voice of Lois, but with red yeah. hair. And I liked because it's like, again, you know, there's and again, certain versions of the story do play with the Lois versus Lana of it. Others, you know, in more modern times, he's not really torn between them. But I thought that was that was actually a really nice touch because that incorporates Krypton, Smallville and Metropolis. And right. I think that does more accurately represent the the heart's desire of the version of the character that I but even or but even this Bronze Age version, I do think. Something along those lines, something that weaves in these three main pieces of his life. I think that that does really track well. So I love that with the cartoon. Many people don't know that Alan Moore revealed that originally Wonder Woman was not supposed to be part of this story. It was actually supposed to be Supergirl. So... He wanted to write Batman and Supergirl and Robin, but DC caught wind, sat him down and said, hey, listen, this is going to be an issue because uh, we're going to kind of be offing her pretty soon in the crisis. We, we don't want her in this story. Why don't you do one woman instead? So, so Julie Schwartz basically sat him down and said, she's going to be really focused on crisis. We don't want to confuse the waters. So let's use one woman instead. So um, it, all in all, it didn't really matter. I don't know why it was an issue because this story literally gets erased if you think about it by the crisis. But little tidbit, Alan didn't want one woman. He wanted a Supergirl to be fighting this fight. So uh, I didn't know that. So thank you for sharing that. That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't think it would have changed the story profoundly. I don't know. I kind of see it both ways, right? Because on the one hand, having Supergirl there, you know, you know, ties it more into the Superman mythology. And right. I mean, it does make sense, right? If you're looking at, you know, Superman's birthday and, and it's a, an annual issue and it's like, well, of course he regularly teams up with Batman and Supergirl's a firm part of his world. So that makes yeah. sense at the same time. And I think it lent itself really well, especially in the cartoon to use Wonder Woman, because now it's the three pillars 
plus Robin right. of the DC universe. So, yeah, I don't know. I, it, I think it works well either way. Um, it is interesting, and I think you touched on this in Silver Age. It is probably the last instance we're going to see Batman give a rats about buying a gift for Superman. <laughs> <laughs> like, it yeah. is the last time you're ever going to see, like, Batman... You know, all this year he talked to a horticultural expert to to find a rose that now names it after Krypton. I'm like, there's no way post crisis Batman is looking for a present for for Superman for Christmas. Yes, once again, uh, that that stood out. Uh, I I want to thank our audience for for sticking with us. Uh, however many <laughs> yeah. however many segments you you broke this up into, uh, but this again, I I you know this entire run has been just fascinating and i want to thank thank you for being part of this for making your uh, digging for kryptonite debut and bringing all of <laughs> your 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 insight and enthusiasm and notes to this this was really great is there anything else about bronze age superman that uh, you want to say uh, in closing no you know i i think it's it's great for if you're a superman fan don't feel bad if you don't know a lot about the bronze age you know i think it's important you know a little bit there's so much that we're blessed on with the internet that we can check out a little bit of gold and silver and bronze and to be honest that's that's all you really need to know we you don't need you don't need to do the deep dives that we're doing it's fun to talk about it's fun to learn about it like we did um but start where you are right now and then and just dig in where you can but uh yeah i i, I love talking about this age and any age so thank you for having me oh my pleasure thank you and uh yeah i guess the last thing i'll say I look at these three ages and bronze to me does feel the least clearly defined mm -hmm. compared to the other two. I, but that being said though, there, again, there are certainly clear markers of bronze age story. So, yeah. you know, uh, so, so there is that, but at the same time you look at golden and you look at silver and I, I, I do feel that there's a little bit more that, um, that identifies those eras, you know, really specifically yeah. and clearly and immediately and you don't quite have that here. But again, there are those, those certain hallmarks. And, um, and like I said earlier, I mean, I really do see this as, as a bit of a, of a bridge. And, and I appreciate, again, you know, like I said with Silver Age, right? There were stories that I didn't necessarily like love the reading of it, but I appreciate what it added to the mythology. Here, yeah. it wasn't so much adding to the mythology, but really deepening the character and the types of stories that you can tell with Superman and taking a harder look at who he is, what he thinks, what he feels. And yeah, I feel like the Bronze Age really did a lot, uh, a lot of work during those, during those, you know, 15 years or so. Um, and of course, you know, we'll see that continue into the modern era. So I, I, I'm very appreciative of the Bronze Age. Certain stories that I really did enjoy. And like I said at the top, this might be an era that there's uh, there, there might be some back issue hunt uh, in the future for me. Uh, we'll see. But uh, again, thank you very much, Bernie. I really appreciate this. Uh, thank you to our audience. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another look at Zack Snyder's Justice League. And you might be saying, but... Anthony, you did two and a half Ooh. hours on the Snyder Cut. What more do you have to say? <laughs> There's always more to say. And this time, uh, my buddy Justin DeVoe, who was on for the final night episode, um, he's going to come back. And we're going to be looking specifically at the black and white version, the Justice is Gray edition of the Snyder Cut. Uh, so there's always more to talk about. That's coming up. And again, that run of episodes uh, from post-crisis to death, that's coming up in September. So uh, there, there's really a lot of fun 
Superman talk in store. Uh, I hope you will tune in and enjoy. And until then, uh, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. Digging for Kryptonite is a Flat Squirrel production. Art by Greg Shegel, music by Basic Printer. Join the conversation by becoming part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group. Follow Digging for Kryptonite on Instagram and Twitter and visit flatsquirrelproductions.com to explore more of my film and podcast projects.